0: Hey there, this is Mark Scarborough, and this is the podcast Walking with Dante, a podcast that has walked all the way to the fifth canto of Purgatorio. Bazaar. We're going to be at lines 1-21 through 21 of Purgatorio Canto 5. You can find this, my English translation, on my website, MarkScarborough.com or WalkingWithDate.com. You can print it off. You can make notes on your own print-off, or you can just read along there, or you can drop a comment, which would be terrific. If you remember, we have passed on from Belacqua, one of the negligent, lazy souls. They're going to actually come up in the opening of Canto 5, if you remember from our read-through. They appear just momentarily at the beginning of it. So without any further ado, let's take it on. Lines 1 through 21, Purgatorio, Canto 5. I had now taken my leave from those shades and was following in the footsteps of my guide, when right behind me, pointing his finger, one of them cried out, Check out how the light rays can't be seen below that guy on his left side. It's as if he were alive, the way he moves about. I turned my eyes back to where that voice had originated and saw those guys who were staring at me in wonder. Well, at me and at the broken light. My master said... Why is your spirit all spun up in itself so that you've slowed your pace? Why do you make so much over the fact that they're whispering about you? Come along after me and let those people talk. Stay as steady as a tower that doesn't crumble even when the wind blows hard. See here, when any guy lets one thought spring up in himself right after another, he delays his goal because one thought can only weaken another. What else could I say except I'm coming? So I said it, daubed with that color that might make a guy worthy of a pardon. There's the passage, one of Virgil's most strident reprimands in comedy that follows the pilgrim being pointed out by one of the negligent souls. This is a funny passage. It's got some humor in it. It's got Virgil's reprimand, which we want to talk about a great deal because its purpose seems slightly unclear. We'll talk more about that even in the next episode of this podcast. And then, of course, we have Dante the Pilgrim's reaction. But we also, I think, may have a meta literary point that is a point about the creation of comedy itself being made in this passage. So let's get to it. Before we delve into the text itself, let's talk about Canto 5 just as an overview for a second. If Canto 4 of Purgatorio was about the unity of the soul, remember we had this whole thing about how the soul can't have more than one part, the anti Platonic reasoning, the Aristotelian reading, reasoning that the soul is one thing, and that seems to exist in Canto 4 all the way down to Balacqua himself, who is certainly one thing. Now, depending on how you take the tonality, of him, whether it's sardonic or ironic or comedic or serious, whatever Balakwa's tonality is, it is consistent across his character, and I think this may speak to the unity of the souls and be one of the ways that Canto Four is unified. Okay, given all of that, then Canto Five is about the alleged stability. And security, but ultimately the fragility of the body. We turn from a canto about the soul to one where, right from the get-go, people notice that the pilgrim's body blocks the light. And you've already heard the read-through of Canto 5. So you know that there are going to be bodies, torn apart bodies, split open lots of blood spilled. The ultimate fragility of this, at first, apparently stable form, the body. Once again, we seem to, in this canto, have an early section in which we slip into various discussions and then we slip out into voices. And this has happened to us multiple times already in Purgatorio with Xela, with Manfred, with Palacqua. And now in this canto, we have Opening material that slips out into an individual soul. There must be a rationale for the way this is getting set up. In Inferno, we largely had the opposite. We had souls introduced to us almost from the get go of each canto. Here, again, we seem to delay, hesitate, wait until we arrive at the main souls. And I want to tell you that in Canto 5, just as in Canto 4 Purgatorio, many people blow through these opening parts to get to the souls at the end. In this case, the three souls at the end in previous cantos to Casela or Manfred or Balacqua. I don't want to blow through it. Let's sit down and look at what we've got staring us in the face <laughs> in this text. The first thing that we can say is that if there is a humorous tone to the Balakwa sequence in Canto Four, it continues in the opening lines of Canto Five, because it says that the pilgrim had taken his leave from those shades, the guys resting in the shade of the boulder, following in the footsteps of his guide, Virgil, and then all of a sudden one of them back there points at the pilgrim and cries out. Check out the how the light rays can't be seen below that guy on his left side. It's as if he were alive, the way he moves about. I mean, there's a bit of humor here, right? Because these are these lazy, negligent souls, but suddenly they seem to be very active. They don't seem to be able to stand up much, but they certainly are pointing and crying out. They're guilty, shall we say guilty, of more action. Can you be guilty in Purgatorio? I don't think so. Anyway, they're guilty of more action and more effort than we've seen out of them at this point. Actually, there's a little bit of humor here that as the pilgrim passes away from the negligent souls, they suddenly get very agitated and active and crying out and pointing. If you remember, the reason his shadow falls on his left side, we've discussed this before, it has to do with the position of the sun in Dante's conception of the geocentric universe or Ptolemaic universe or actually Aristotelian universe. But notice here, too, that they seem to hone in on the fact that he moves about as if he were alive. You know, there's effort in his movement. Surely the pilgrim in his body exhibits effort and we know this from the climb out of breath at the top of the climb (laughs) this is something that those lazy souls back there can't do effort and they seem to see it suddenly in the pilgrim oh my look at him i mean it takes him muscular coordination to take a step something that we behind the shadow of this boulder can't even work up the effort seems to attract the negligent well surely there is a moral and allegorical point being made right there about the way you get up purgatory. That is the effort, the sheer determination to do it is so much that it even calls out the negligent from their lazy attitudes. All right, let's pass on over Dante's reaction and go to Virgil's reprimand. My master said, why is your spirit all spun up in itself so that you've slowed your pace? Why do you make so much of the fact that they're whispering about you? Come along after me and let those people talk. This is pretty stern stuff. Stay as steady as a tower that doesn't crumble even when the wind blows hard. The idea here is that the top of a tower might blow off in a hard wind. Well, don't be like that. It's a really fancy way of saying don't lose your head. Don't don't lose the reasoning part of you because these guys are pointing at you. And then Virgil follows up his reprimand with this final bit, which I find very intriguing. See here, when any guy lets one thought spring up in himself right after another, he delays his goal because one thought can only weaken another. We're back to that unity of the soul stuff. We're back to that the soul can't think about more than one thing at once, that the soul can't listen to Manfred and. And also know that time is passing. Virgil seems to re-emphasize the unity of the soul as in, because the soul is a unified thing, if you're just going to be distracted by this and that, you're never going to make any forward progress. In other words, the soul's unity may be a deterrent Finally, to physical progress on purgatory. Just think about that for a minute in terms of its theological question. The soul's inherent unity, that it is one thing and can focus on one thing while it helps the soul to rationalize and think intellectually. At the same time, it is a way that the soul cannot finally fulfill its ultimate destiny because it hasn't learned how to channel itself. And so it's whipping from one thing to another, to another, to another, and it can't finally meet its perfection. There is surely a moral coda here being made to that earlier argument about the unity of souls in Canto 4. I'm sitting here recording this thinking to myself, if you were just dropping into this episode out of the blue, out of nowhere, you're going to be like, what in the world is this guy banging on about? (laughs) You should go back and catch up because there's a lot behind us that this passage even in and of itself rests on. Okay, so that's Virgil's reprimand. Now, let's go backwards in the passage and talk about the Pilgrim Dante's reaction to being pointed out. It's lane seven through nine. I turned my eyes back to where that voice had originated and saw those guys who were staring at me in wonder. Well, me and at the broken light. It's that repetition of at me that is so curious. And by the way, in the Florentine, the at me is right up against itself. If I wanted to be closer to the medieval Florentine, I might say, saw those guys who were staring in wonder at me, at me and the broken light. There's that at me, at me, and the phrase used is "poor me, and it's a very strong phrase. It, it has this connotation of I'm being selected out, at me, only me, purely me, if I wanted <laughs> to try to find a cognate, which doesn't make any sense, but it is a pretty strong phrase in the medieval Italian, medieval Florentine, And maybe this is the root of Virgil's reprimand. When Dante notices that the souls are pointing at him, that the negligent souls have suddenly kind of, well, not leaped into action, but at least leaped into words and at least lifted a finger to point, when he has noticed that... He seems to take some kind of pleasure, is this fair, am I reading this into the text, pleasure at being singled out at me, at me, they're really noticing the broken light, that is, the pilgrim casts a shadow, but Dante seems to take it almost as a personal approbation, as a personal remark, of favoritism, (laughs) as a social media thumbs up, as a social media like or heart. He seems to endorse it in some way. And this seems to bring on Virgil's most strident reprimand. Is that the case? I don't actually know. I'm inferring it from the text. I'm making deductions. Reductions from the text, and we're going to have to save a final answer to this to the next passage in Canto Five. Well, at least a final way to look at this in the next passage in Canto Five. But it is playing here. I mean, it, that poor, me, poor me. That repetition in the Florentine seems very significant and it seems to really call out Virgil's peak toward the pilgrim. Stop paying attention to those guys and pay attention to what you're doing, which is trying to get up this mountain, this thing itself. Stop being distracted. And is the distraction that the pilgrim believes he is central to the concerns of Purgatorio? Maybe. Let's look at the last three lines of this passage. What else could I say except I'm coming? So I said it, daubed with that color that might make a guy worthy of a pardon, a a circumlocution, uh, walking around of a way to say, I turned red, I blushed. He's daubed with the color that says, oh, mm." I made a mistake, I screwed up, I turned around and looked back at these spirits pointing at me. Dante the Pilgrim certainly hears Virgil as a reprimand. He wouldn't turn this color, which earns you pardon, if in fact he didn't feel the force of this reprimand, which seems to locate the error in him. This is an interesting point, and one we want to just think about for a second. How can you have error in purgatory? Well, one of the ways you can have error in purgatory is that Dante the Pilgrim is not dead. He's not in purgatory, quote unquote, naturally. He's not there because the angel has brought him in the boat. He's there, quote unquote, unnaturally. Is that a function that we should pay attention to? And I think maybe it is. You can have error in the redeemed part of the afterlife located in the pilgrim. The pilgrim can definitely make a mistake. Now, we can go back to Casela singing his song on the very bottom shore of Purgatory and Cato's reprimand of get going, stop wasting time singing poetry we can go back to that and say souls might be able to make errors too but the real locus of error is going to be in the pilgrim and this is going to become more and more pronounced as we ascend the redeemed part of the afterlife this is going to become more of a problem in paradiso this place paradise is going to have error in it it <laughs> (laughs) in the form of the pilgrim. And this error is going to have to be corrected. But how can error be in paradise to begin with? You're setting up great ambiguities here. And you could feel a little of that setup here as we try to infer the motivations of this scene, which are not presented totally clear for us. I'm not suggesting that Dante is afraid of this scene. What I'm saying suggesting is the scene is grayer than simply a mistake and a reprimand, that there are ways in which it's twisting and tworking because, after all, how can you make a, a mistake? Is that mistake a mistake of the pilgrims? And if so, then is it a verbal mistake? Pour me, pour me. Is it, oh, here you go, a mistake in the poetry? Is there a way that the poetry of purgatory can become too much about the pilgrim? And that is no longer where the emphasis needs to be laid. There is a really big question, and Virgil may have something to say about it in this passage. It's in that last bit of his reprimand. See here, when any guy lets one thought spring up in himself right after another, he delays his goal because one thought can only weaken another. Yes, this is a restatement of the unity of the soul, as I said. But perhaps this is also a comment on writing Purgatorio. You've made the poem about you so far. Mr. Dante, in Inferno, it was largely about your reaction to the damned. Once we cross over into Purgatorio... You have to figure out a way to write the poem so it is not solely about you and your reactions. Because if it's solely about you and your reactions, then the theological and philosophical and moral truths will not land. They'll instead land as idiosyncratic to you. And there may be a way that there is a corrective here inside of the writing of Purgatorio. And Virgil, standing outside now (laughs) as a metacritic, Virgil is saying, look, if you're going to get this poem written, you can't keep bouncing around from thought to thought to thought to thought to thought. You have to have a consistent notion of the progress of the soul toward its perfection, and bouncing around is going to delay your goal needlessly. Doing that gaping, gawking, crying, staring stuff you have been so famous for in Inferno is not going to work out well for the purposes of purgatory. Purgatorio, because this is about the moral education of the soul as Dante sees it. And you've got to figure out how to get it outside of the pilgrim and into the narrative around the pilgrim. Because if you make it solely inside the pilgrim, then you've made it idiosyncratic and not universal. And that is certainly not Dante's intent. Now listen, let's just stop. I don't think the lessons of Purgatorio are universal. I am saying that Dante is beginning to make the claims that the theological and moral lessons are universal, and in order to make that claim, he has to pull the poetry out of the pilgrim. It cannot just be at me, at me. Let's read this passage one more time, lines 1 through 21 of Purgatorio Canto 5. I had now taken my leave from those shades and was following in the footsteps of my guide when right behind me, pointing his finger, one of them cried out, "'Check out how the light rays can't be seen below that guy on his left side. It's as if he were alive the way he moves about.' I turned my eyes back to where that voice had originated and saw those guys who were staring at me in wonder, well, at me and at the broken light. My master said, "'Why is your spirit all spun up in itself so that you've slowed your pace?' What do you make so much of the fact that they're whispering about you? Come along after me and let those people talk. Stay as steady as a tower that doesn't crumble, even when the wind blows hard. See here, when any guy lets one thought spring up in himself right after another, he delays his goal because one thought can only weaken another. What else could I say except I'm coming? So I said it, daubed with that color that might make a guy worthy of a pardon. Well, we are certainly on our way into Purgatorio and certainly on our way into the writing of Purgatorio, which is far different from the writing of Inferno. Let's keep going. Subscribe to this podcast, rate it, like it, do all those things that you can do if you can give it a written comment like. <laughs> Great podcast. Well, dare I have so much bravado. Great podcast. That would be terrific. It really helps with the analytics. Thanks for being on the journey with me. Thanks for walking with Dante and me across this landscape. I see some of you in the comments are calling me your Virgil. Um, I don't know. Is that good? Virgil is damned after all. I I, I guess maybe I'm flattered to be your Virgil. I, how about, think of me as your Beatrice. <laughs> That's absolutely absurd. Anyway, just think about it as me, Mark Scarborough, and we're walking with Dante together. I'll see you on the next episode soon.